Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Cloud Wars Live, the digital revolutions in full swing. We're having a blast. Lots of big changes going on in the world, and we get some special insights into the industrial and manufacturing markets as we do each month from our good friend, Tony Uphoff, who is the CEO of Thomas. Tony, welcome back to Cloud Wars Live. Always a treat to have you. Hey, Bob. Thanks so much. It's great to see you. So Tony, uh, you know, it's it's interesting. You've been uh, a monthly guest with us for more than a year and your insights into what you've called with, with what Thomas does, the massive amounts of data where you connect buyers and sellers in industrial and manufacturing markets. What well, seems now this industry specific approach is kicking into high gear here. And, you know, from Microsoft, Salesforce, IBM, uh, SAP, Oracle, all of these companies now trying to create special solutions for um, industry-specific clouds and especially manufacturing. We can get that to a minute. I know you had a few interesting things you want to talk about, so let me just turn that over to you and uh, see what's top of mind for you right now. Yeah, you know, Bob, there's, there's. Um, I think the whole idea of industry cloud is fascinating, and and. Let, let me let me, as they say, put a pin in that because I'd like to unpack that with you in just a, a couple of minutes. I, I oftentimes think, as we have our conversations, what are the range of things that we're seeing, both in our data that might be interesting to your listeners, and and in terms of market opportunity, what are some of the things that many of your uh, uh, core listeners are starting to look at that could signal these are market transitions or shifts in the market opportunities that they're wrestling with? But then I think what's common across all of the industries and, and certainly for your listeners is as a business leader, one of the things that you, uh, you, you always wrestle with is how to recruit, retain and develop talent. And, and I think we're seeing something that, you know, hopefully, you know, Bob is a once in a generational dynamic here play out. And that's as we come out of the pandemic, we're starting to see evidence that it's going to be a disproportionately high year of turnover. And there's probably a lot of reasons for this, right? So, um, you know, un unfortunately, we're seeing divorce rates are are uh, are up. We're seeing uh, turnover of people leaving companies or leaving jobs in a in a higher ratio than we've seen before. And I would assume, Bob, if we went back, I tried to to go back and look at some data before our conversation today. Um, that that this may well have happened after 9/11. This may well have happened after the 07, 08, you know, uh, recession as well. But I think it's, it's such a difficult dynamic that people are pent up. And th this has been a very difficult year, even for companies that have thrived through it. The stresses and pressures, I think, create for a lot of individuals a sense of, I just need a change. And so <clears throat> as a leader, you know, I know I'm having a lot of conversations with, with peers of mine and within our own company of this is a, a challenge, but it's a, every challenge is also an opportunity. And, and how do you deal with, you know, what is going to be an outlier year? There's gonna be an asterisk on the turnover, uh, you know, statistics at every company for this year, which is yeah, but, and the yeah, but is that, you know, it was the pandemic year. But I guess where I'm going with this, Bob, is, is how do we as business leaders, um, do the best we can in, in retaining that talent, but also look at this as something that, you know, we, we, you know, what's the judo move here? Could we lean into this in a way? Because for everybody who's leaving a company, that means there's interest in people coming to a company. And, and I guess where I'm going is, 
I think it's a time of reflection for people to take perhaps a slightly different tack in the way they've been thinking about recruitment and retention. And not to say retention doesn't matter, but if we know we're going into a year that it's likely going to have a, a, an outlier to it, if we were to do comparisons, then what might we look at doing? Could we be maybe a little more aggressive in recruiting than we normally would in a year? Could we over-recruit? Could we look at areas of talent that frankly, if we're really honest with ourselves, maybe we haven't paid attention to in the last several years. And it's time we dig into those areas of talent. And uh, I, I just, I'm sharing a little bit, you can see my mindset yeah. and, and, and how we're leveraging it. And thankfully we're not seeing a massive transition. Our turnover is a bit higher than it has been. It's not a massive uh, amount higher. Um, but that being said, we're trying to, you know, I, I can't remember if it's Churchill that deserves the, uh, the credit or not for the famous line of, you know, let's not waste a great crisis. Mm. And, uh, and so I'm just trying to think through and, and I find myself getting drawn into this conversation with a lot of leaders who are a little nervous, myself included, about going through an era where turnover might be a little higher than, uh, than normal. Yeah, Tony, fascinating to hear, and especially that it's um, something that you see across different types of businesses and uh, understandable when you sort of put together that, that uh, you know, background that you gave on it. But uh, I know over time, you have at different points, you know, broadly said, sometimes, you know, the best thing to do is make the trend your friend. So is that part of what you're saying here that, you know, this could be something where, okay, We've seen some of it. We can probably expect some more. So instead of just waiting and reacting, why don't we get out in front of this? Absolutely, Bob. And look, you know, I, I don't want to be misunderstood here in suggesting that you take a ruthless attack on this. But, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, if we go back through history, defense doesn't scale particularly well yeah. in business. And, you know, I think if we're hunkered down in a defensive posture, it, it, it's, not, it's not a natural posture for business. Businesses are fundamentally um, growth engines. That's, that's what makes them healthy, that mm -hmm. what makes them survive. And, and you know, a, a disruption actually for a good business should, should help it, not mm -hmm. immediately, but over time. It makes you tougher, it makes you stronger, it makes you adjust. And so I, I think at a time like this, this is an opportunity to, um, to, to your point, make the trend your fan, but perhaps go on the offense. Mm -hmm. You know, use this mm -hmm. as an opportunity to upgrade talent. Use this as an opportunity to maybe uh, invest in areas that, that might be either new positions or, uh, as I said before, you know, uh, is there a, a bit of an over-recruitment, you know, where, where we think, hey, there could be a higher turnover. So rather than just hire two, maybe we hire four. Yeah. And, and think of this in a more enlightened way. In its own way, Bob, and this is going to seem like a funny comparison here, we're seeing a fair amount of evidence that there's an overt oversupply happening in a lot of supply chains right now based on the disruptions that we've seen over the last year. Now, most companies aren't going to put this out publicly, right? But you can imagine that you know boards are going to CEOs and saying, hey, how do we assure that we never get caught like this again? Well, one way to do that is a bit of overstocking and oversupply. Nothing dramatic, mm -hmm. but a little bit more of that. No publicly traded company is going to list this as a strategic initiative because the analyst would, would, would look askance at that. But the reality is it's happening. 
is there a similar dynamic that we're seeing around you know the ultimate resource right which is talent and and uh, and people so it's an interesting area i don't know that there's a simple answer for it bob other than uh, you know as a as a business leader the conversation i'm having with peers of mine is how do you get off the back foot on something like this and um, I don't want to say use this as an opportunity. It's the wrong way to phrase it, but you know what I mean in this yeah. context is 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 um, have this act as a catalyst for action, yeah. and and to to understand that you know this is an opportunity to attract and retain um, uh, great talent. It's also a learning experience for younger managers in the spirit of development who perhaps haven't haven't managed through something like this before. Yeah. And the idea of a little bit higher turnover would spook them. Well, here's an opportunity to, to realize you don't need to be frightened by something like this. Focus on what you can control and you can manage through this and actually perhaps come out the better for it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Tony, uh, you know, uh, as you talk about how you can try best to take advantage of this sort of thing. Uh, we recently did an episode with the CIO of a company called Vary, V-A-R-I, and they make yeah. like the standing desks and they've expanded. They're growing like crazy for an eight-year-old company. So uh, the CIO was describing, you know, as part of their culture, he said, we, uh, we redo the offices a few times a year. He said, now, partly it's because we're showcasing internally the power of our modular walls and desks and furniture like that. But he said it also is just good for everybody to see things from a different perspective, sit next to different sorts of people, and to underscore the fact that, you know, we need to be agile, nimble, move very quickly. And I wonder, you know, Tony, like in that light, we see so many companies across all different types of industries saying, I need to have a different sort of organizational structure to handle and deal with and optimize my opportunities in this very different digital economy. So that too might be something that sort of wraps around, you know, some of this uh, high turnover that you've pointed out. Yeah, you know, um, in, in Talib's book, you know, Talib wrote, uh, you know, the, the Black Swan, and I think we talked about his book, Anti-Fragile. And for those that haven't read the book, he, he, he's got a really kind of a fascinating theory here. And he's not the first one to put this together, but he, he brings it together. And I think in a really interesting way and applies it to companies in particular. And he basically breaks them into three categories. There's fragile, there's robust, and there's, there's what he calls anti-fragile. And, and anti-fragile is that disruption and volatility actually makes the company stronger. And, and I think it's, it's, it, there's, it, it really inspired me. I, I recently read the book and it's not a new book. I think it's, it's been out for, for several years, but it, it really resonated with me, particularly reading it now during the midst of a disruption, yeah. and, you know, and, and, and that kind of stuff. But I think in its own way, you're sort of saying the same thing, Bob. I think if we can understand how to maintain a level of agility, which by definition means I have to, feel comfortable being off balance. Yeah. yeah. Right. You know, if 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 the world is completely stable, I don't have to be particularly agile. Yeah. <laughs> agile by definition, right, means that we have to adapt to a shifting or changing, you know, uh, you know, balance. And and uh, I think there's something really remarkable about the era we're living in right now, yeah. where, you know, it's allowing many of us who who like to pontificate about these things, perhaps sometimes in an academic setting, to say, "Oh, hey, here we go. Here's an opportunity to uh, see if this really works, or if yeah. I really know how to do this." And uh, yeah. 
as a, as a leader, I, I just find it endlessly fascinating and at times frightening. But I think we are at one of those, you know, the anti-fragile are going to thrive coming out yeah. of this environment. And that's really what Talib was trying to say with the book. And I think there's a lot of, a lot of truth to it and, and a, lot of, um, uh, a lot of benefit for us being agile and, and being uh, aggressive through these difficult, yeah. you know, changing times, because as we come out the other end of this thing, turnover is gonna actually be something that's viewed as a positive as opposed to a negative. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if, as you say, Tony, you're out in front of this, and I, I think in that context, the, um, you, you know, pointed out a, a few things about the need for leadership and leaders to take a, a strong, assertive position on this. And to me, it just underscores, again, this laughable notion that uh, some people have that, you know, HR or the CHRO, that's a back office function. I mean, if there's ever, you know, another, uh, you know, indelible uh, impact here of, of how those roles can be so strategic, so essential, so uh, and make such an impact on things, it's this. So that, Tony, you know, great point overall there. And uh, that'll be that'll be interesting to observe. You know how this plays yeah. out. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's funny. And and as we segue here, Bob, one of the things is you is you talk about back office, front office, operating functions a bit. As somebody who's who's had the extraordinary opportunity to to act as a a change agent to come into organizations that required you know significant change management, one of the playbooks that I was taught early on is. You're head of human resources, you're head of technology, you're head of finance, now become an operating unit that you take around and embed them in everything that the company does. Because invariably, I've found where companies that have, have flattened out and, and have stopped the growth or are or, you know, declining, inevitably what's happened is those functions have allowed to become a centralized back office function and they've lost touch with what business the company's really in. So therefore, we stop recruiting well. We stop talent development. We stop understanding the tech needs of the customer. We stop, you know what I mean? And so yeah. I, it's interesting. And again, that's a whole probably subset we could go down, but uh, I, I think there's something, you know, really profound to what you're saying. Well, yeah, Tony, such an interesting point too. And I think um, this uh, next subject that you'd want to talk about of industry clouds, Right. You know, as I've, I've had a chance over the last couple of weeks to talk to, you know, several of the Cloud Wars top 10 companies, the leaders of their new industry cloud businesses. And one of the questions I've posed almost everybody, if I've missed anyone, it wasn't intentional, but this antiquated notion that the companies have a front office and a back office. And I've also heard about there's the middle office that sits in between them and that, you know, a lot of these new industry cloud capabilities will are, are being designed to help interconnect those three. So perhaps, you know, where uh, the, the sledgehammer and the wrecking ball is, you know, beginning to be applied to those sorts of things that I think are killers for companies that want to move quickly, want to have that agility that you've described, but they've got themselves culturally and it, through their processes and almost like their mindset of saying, now, nope, you know, we got these people over here and those out there, they know what's going on externally. These people don't. And in the middle, there's some sort of, you know, goo that uh, is supposed to somehow try to connect those, but it's got its own thing going on. So uh, it, it, I do think this is going to be a fascinating uh, dynamic in that whole industry cloud um, revival, not revival, but vival. 
I, I think you're absolutely right. And by the way, our French bulldog, Vivian, absolutely loves industry cloud topics. So if you hear her in the background there, I thought I heard her. She, she just has a particular interest in this area. But uh, all, all kidding aside, I think it, it's fascinating to see this dynamic play out. I think specific to your point of the front office, back office, mid office kind of dynamic, I think what's happening through an accelerated digital transformation is we're exposing the, 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 um, the fallacy of, oh, that's a back office function versus a front office function. Tony, that's a fascinating point. I want to come back to this, that in just a second here, but uh, first a word from BMC, our sponsor. BMC wants to know, is your business on its A game? That's when systems are intelligent by learning from markets, when automation is paramount yet effortless, and when technology and people work as one in an enterprise. The A-game is your business at its absolute best. BMC calls this the autonomous digital enterprise. Find out more at bmc.com slash A-game. Well, the, the, the biggest headache in healthcare right now is not the, the care you get from a doctor. It's all the nonsense you wade through of dealing with insurance companies and billings and is this covered or is that covered? So. Mm -hmm. That back office function has now become the front office customer experience in healthcare. And it's horrible. It's just completely horrible, right? Well, technology is going to fix that. You can see it just starting slowly but surely. And I think, you know, you could go down every business, Bob, and talk about that, right? Our own business, you know, as, as we went through the next level of digital transformation with our customers, you know, you know suddenly it exposes well, gosh, the, the invoice and the bill and the way we do it doesn't look like it's in sync with the product or service that the customer believed they were buying. We need to fix that. That's a bad experience, right? And so I think there's probably so many of those examples that, that we could identify. I, I also think, you know, you and I exchanged some thoughts on this before we went on air. I think anytime there's, there's something that you could identify theoretically, as a market transition. And I would suggest that this idea of industry clouds is a market transition. You know, the, the, the kind of inside baseball folks stop and go, oh, come on, is this just market hype? You're just hyping up a vertical market here, kid. You know, there's nothing really going on here. Or there's other people that start to say, no, 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 we're starting to see the signal that there's a fundamental transition happening here. There's a realignment of the way these markets are going to operate and the value proposition with which technology is going to serve these individual marketplaces. And I'm a believer that it's the latter there, Bob, that this yeah. really is, this idea of industry clouds is a big deal. And yeah. I think it's a big deal for several reasons. I think one is, it's, it, it, it to me is a more all-encompassing understanding of the customer needs so it's not just a simply binary exchange of software or a binary exchange of, of hardware. It requires really a much more holistic view of customer needs in an individual marketplace. And you know, that, that requires today an understanding of the dynamics in that marketplace. I'll take the one that's nearest and dearest to my heart, which is the manufacturing industry. Yeah. Yeah. Most every one of your listeners is working at a company that if it's not in their top, you know, one or two cloud uh, industry marketplaces, it's in the top three for good reason. It is absolutely exploding in terms of opportunity for major tech vendors. But the needs of that marketplace 
are a really remarkable level of ecosystem of you know, dynamics of what's going on in that industry, data requirements, technology requirements, uh, customer requirements yes. that are really deeply embedded in those industries. So that, that um, ability to adapt technical functional capabilities with the understandings of the critical needs of customers in manufacturing is a very different dynamic. Even though you might be serving it through horizontal technology, it's a very different dynamic today. So I, I'm, can I use the expression, I'm long on the idea of, sure. uh, of uh, industry clouds. Um, and I think it, it holds huge market opportunity. And I also think it holds the opportunity as a forcing function, and I mean this in a positive way, for major tech players to really get inside the jobs to be done of the individual major markets that they serve. Mm -hmm. It's gonna force them in a good way yeah. into really deeply looking at these markets and understanding it. And I think you recently had a remarkable conversation with the folks at, at Google Cloud, and there was some very specific uh, case study examples of what they're doing in manufacturing as an example. Mm -hmm. It's not just a, hey, we have cloud services. And if you're in manufacturing, or by the way, if you're in some other industry, they're, they're fantastic, you know, have at it. There was a, some actually unique components in manufacturing. And as I recall, Bob, it was around uh, stimulating, uh, you know, uh, additive manufacturing and yes. 3D, 3D printing in ways that could help scale those markets which re really would require a, a fairly deep and rigorous understanding of what is uniquely starting to happen in the absolute renaissance we're seeing in North American manufacturing. Yeah, yeah, Tony, I, I, I agree. I think there's something very positive here. And, um, you know, I, I've been watching this for a while and I think it was um, just over two years ago, 26 months ago, uh, Thomas Curian, in January 2019, took over CEO at Google Cloud. And in February, yeah. he spoke at the um, Goldman Sachs Investors Conference. And um, Heather Bellini, who's the lead analyst there at Goldman Sachs, asked Thomas, he said, well, you know, Amazon Web Services is much bigger than Google Cloud. Microsoft's much bigger than Google Cloud. How are you going to catch up? And he said, I don't worry about catching up. I don't worry about what happened in the past. He said, uh, one of the things we're going to do is we're going to continue to move in infrastructure, but we're also looking at an opportunity here. He said, and again, this is two years ago, not just within the last 13 months. And he said, I think these industry specific solutions are going to become incredibly important because the businesses are facing new challenges, new opportunities, new requirements that they've never had to face before. Absolutely. And no matter how good or how capable their existing systems are, they were never built to do that. So a new way of doing business is requiring some new solutions. And he, at that point, more than two years ago, said it was going to be Google Cloud's number one priority. So they're bringing their own approach to it. Um, Alyssa Taylor from uh, Microsoft earlier today, you know, in the manufacturing area, she says, we're trying to help customers create the digital factory of the future. Uh, she was talking about intelligent order management, you know, how you offering that visibility from build through delivery. And it spoke again, Tony, I think, to this notion of uh, the, the partly the fallacy, also the danger of companies having a mindset front office, back office, because she said everything she said these forward looking customers are doing is to obliterate those lines, those, well, you know, segments. 
Bob, I think this is such a cool area of exploration because in that collapsing of the front office to back office, what we're really doing, if you think about it, and, and imagine you know, the, 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 the ambition that it takes to understand this in manufacturing, what we're really doing is we're, we're gonna connect the customer directly to manufacturing. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Heretofore, this mysterious thing that went on behind the scenes, even if I was a pretty sophisticated procurement manager or whatever, you know, I'm hoping you know how to manufacture this stuff. I don't have a lot of visibility into it. And I'm looking at time and cost and deliverability and all those types of things. Suddenly, we're now completely reimagining of how something like that might work. Yeah. And we're doing a remarkable job of connecting the customer directly to that. So that customer experience is intimately connected to my manufacturing yeah. and then reciprocity sets in where suddenly I'm saying, well, wait a minute, if I can connect directly with the customer on some of these things, I can now step into new ways of serving that customer. Perhaps mm -hmm. it's a subscription service, perhaps it's manufacturing on demand, yeah. perhaps it's manufacturing as a service, perhaps there's capabilities I have that the customer would see that I hadn't even thought of offering mm -hmm. that particular customer. So I think there's a whole series um, of, of new things that will emerge. Last point I would make to it, Bob, too, is the average um, tech company really, you know, thinks of manufacturing as a, as a, as a very discrete set of functions. And most people's visual understanding of manufacturing is companies bending steel. So you think of automotive companies or aerospace companies, you think of very traditional ideas of manufacturing. The hottest area of manufacturing right now is actually in food processing. <laughs> One of the other hottest areas of manufacturing right now is in pharmaceutical manufacturing, right? So, you know, at thomasnet.com, we cover 72,000 categories. Automotive's one, <laughs> right? So there's such a, you know, as these vertical clouds, Bob, get going, they're going to step into this and realize, yeah. oh my gosh, this is a much broader market and a much more in-depth marketplace than I had any understanding. It's not just what I think of as kind of bending big steel, yeah. which is kind of a dated 1950s view of what manufacturing is. And I think there's, um, obviously these companies are smart and they they see the dollars, you know, bear in mind, you know, manufacturing in this country is, is bearing down on a $3 trillion um, industry, right? So, and it's growing. Yeah. And yeah. it's growing fast. So yeah. I'm, I'm thrilled that big tech has discovered manufacturing, <laughs> uh, but, but I'm, I'm all kidding aside, I'm even more thrilled that I think these, these vertical cloud strategies will enable them to um, really help accelerate what's happening in manufacturing and create, well, I'll go back to an earlier phrase we used, create a sense of agility for these yes. companies to be able to serve customers in ways that frankly, they probably couldn't imagine, but the big tech offering can help them imagine or reimagine how to serve customers. So I think it's a really thrilling time, A, to be in manufacturing, but I think it's a very, very um, unique opportunity for the, the mate. And when I use the term big tech, I shouldn't say it that way. There's a lot of you know smaller tech players that should be looking at this market yeah. as well and understanding there's a big market opportunity for them. So Tony, quick on that, you know, one of the not just the giant companies, but Snowflake, you know, uh, growing incredibly fast, but it's it's revenue for the last 12 months. I don't know, 600, 700 million, not 
sneezing at that, but in the terms of some of the big yeah. tech companies, that is not so much. They attributed in their last earnings call, you know, a, a huge amount of credit for their fast growth and their um, really rapid uptake within the Fortune 50 or Fortune 100 to the fact that they have adopted a vertical industry strategy. And Slootman said from one end of the company to the other, you know, it can't just be for the sales organization. We all have to know how to do this, how to think about it, how to speak that language of the customer. So Tony, the other thing that's interesting, you know, for you as the, the CEO of a company who is looking to some of the big tech providers, you know, to, to keep up, to, you know, help you move forward. I think there's this split coming along, right? As the industry cloud was sort of the, the first phase of it, and that's going to continue. And I think it's going to be extraordinarily successful, huge market as you've described. But I think there's a split going on, right? On the one hand, you see that um, what you've talked about, right? These 72,000 different products or that the Thomas tracks, they're not all stamped out the same way. There's varying ways of doing that. So we're seeing the industry cloud companies for manufacturing break down into you know, multiple different components within manufacturing, multiple components within logistics or pharmaceuticals or so on. And then in the other direction, Tony, so from the sort of atomizing effect on the one side, on the larger end, SAP has sort of come out and said, hey, we're not gonna just do this industry specific thing for companies. We're going to do this for industries where they yeah. try to say, you know, how do we try to connect at a major level, all the different stakeholders, big, small, in between, uh, within a, a value chain across industries. So I think once those two things start to happen, right, it's, it's, this isn't a fad. It's not going to be like a couple of years, we got all this done next move. The, uh, I, I just see this is going to be the way enterprise technology meets business for the foreseeable future. Well, it's interesting, Bob, you know, one of the things that if you if you really start to dig down into manufacturing as, as we're using the terminology here, one of the things that you discover <clears throat> is that upwards of 80% of the supply chain of, of, of a company, let's just take an auto company, is made up of custom manufactured pieces. 20% mm -hmm. is from stuff that it's a commodity product. Right, I know the part number, I know the part, I'm just looking for price and availability. So that means your, your future is determined by a, you know, custom manufacturing of mm -hmm. things. So where tech is playing a unique role for these manufacturers is in their capabilities. Yeah. It's, it's not just, hey, you know, I, I, but what I wanna offer, what I'm really delivering to the customer is not a product, I'm delivering them a service, which means if I can enhance my capabilities through technology to you as a customer, uh, you know, Mr. Boeing, uh, Ms. Uh, Tesla, you know, go down the list yeah. of companies, yeah. right? Um, that's that's going to give me this wicked competitive advantage because I can I can move quickly and I can solve your customer, you know, uh, opportunities around creating um, mass customization, you know, mm -hmm. the, the the vaunted mass customization. Mm -hmm. So I think there's there's huge huge opportunity there, and I think the tech. The tech folks are just on the precipice of enabling that kind of stuff to, to really, uh, really take off. I, I think the other thing I, I would mention, you know, Bob, to your, you know, it's kind of early innings, uh, you know, uh, approach here. Um, as often happens, you know, we tend to, as you and I have said many times on this show, we tend to overestimate when something's going to happen 
as in it, we think it's going to happen sooner than it does and underestimate the long-term impact. Yeah. I think the long-term impact of what you and I are describing is these companies get more sophisticated at going down the long tail of mm-hmm. how some of these markets operate. <clears throat> We've been taking our data, Bob, in, in certain markets like you would take uh, automotive and we've been exploding the sourcing demand in and around automotive. And we've been looking at, you know, just, and we literally do this visually in an infographic where you can see subsets down to individual, you know, sensors, uh, robotic arms, uh, different things, but it's all interrelated. And I think kind of where you're going is these tech companies get more sophisticated at being able to understand Oh, there's there's tributaries off of tributaries off of tributaries here. And the more I can understand that as the tech provider, the more that I might be able to make you better or expand market opportunities in those individual tributaries. So if we go back to the dated terminology of the long tail, we're now able to expose in a positive way. It's not a long tail. It's a fat tail. Uh-huh. If we can get after some of those uh, marketplaces through the use of, of some of these remarkable cloud-based uh, infrastructure and, and technologies that we're describing. And, and Tony, as you talked about that, you know, what, what hit me as well, uh, on the one hand, you take it from the top of these technology companies, right? Sachin Nadella saying, we now have an industry-first focus. Yeah. Um, the head of Salesforce's Energy Clouds, same thing. You know, this is where we're headed. Uh, SAP couldn't be more bullish on these sorts of things. You know, Thomas Curian two years ago saying, yeah, high priority. So you have that on the one side. And then on the other end of it, you've got the business customers who are becoming more and more technologically sophisticated. So it isn't just, okay, as a customer, I'll sit and wait till one of those big tech vendors makes something I want. But instead they say, no, 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 you come in here, let's build something together. You know, yeah. very, very much purpose built. Your core technology specialized in some ways. My domain expertise yep. here yep. will create something that's better than before. Antonia, I guess you know this is something I, I, I'm sure I've babbled about this to you before, but um, you said a few minutes ago something about being in the early innings, and I agree with that completely. We we are in the early innings, but I think sometimes we have the tendency to think that all innings are the same, and I don't think these. The second innings is going to be longer and more interesting and more complex than the first inning. And the third inning is going to be so much more so than the second. So this notion in some ways that what is happening with the cloud and these new technologies that you've been describing here will just be a replacement for what was made and purchased in the past. I think that's absurd. This is going to move into different areas where traditional technology never had a chance to go and it's going to kick open doors and opportunities for more pervasive, richer, deeper um, experiences. And that's why, uh, you know, I've been um, just sort of jabbering away with that line is, you know, that the cloud is the, you know, the greatest sustained growth market the world's ever seen. And we're only, only at the very beginning of it. Yeah. Well, and I think it's a fascinating way to, to, to illuminate that, Bob, because you, as usual, you're absolutely spot on. It's very difficult to wrap your head around the idea of, of um, um, con- convexity. Uh-huh. You know, there's concavity and convexity. Most people are familiar with convex- concavity, which is, you know, hey, at some point these things start to, to shrink and, and all that kind of stuff. Convexity requires an understanding of, of compound interest, if I can use that expression, mm-hmm. but um, exponential 
you know, yeah. change and growth. And, and I think it's very hard to project forward the idea of exponential growth. It's easier to see it in, 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 in retrospect. Oh my gosh, Google went from X to, you know, you know, X plus a hundred thousand times over X period of years. How the heck did that happen? Yeah. Well, yeah. there were some signals, you know, that, yeah. that, that, that it was going to go that direction. And I think like a lot of market transitions, this is one where I think you're right, Bob. I think we're, we're going to unleash some further exponential growth. Not that cloud hasn't already, but I think we're, we're starting to see that. And it's not going to play out in a linear, well, we can expect 5% per year <laughs> compound growth over the next 10 years. And Jim Cramer suggests we buy X stock. You know, I think, I think this is going to be very different. Um, and and just curious question for you, Bob, not that it really matters, but it just popped into my head. Was there a company, are you, are you inferring that Curian was kind of first? you know, in, in identifying this as a direction to go? And I don't know if that's a fair question to pose, but just kind of curious your thoughts on that. Well, I, this is why I prefer to be the person asking the questions, Tony. Right? <laughs> no, this may get cut from the final Tony, it's really interesting, right? Because um, SAP would say that for decades, we have provided specialized industry yeah knowledge and codifying and industry to say they processes have. and they're doing yeah. that and now as fast as is possible they're flipping all that over into the cloud with a lot of the new things yeah. that blend into that as well and then the platform that underlies that so all those co-creation things can happen same thing with oracle 10 years they've had these sorts of businesses um salesforce had some of its own clouds that had built and a year ago they bought a company called velocity that put them into three or four big vertical markets. What I think was unique about what Thomas did with Google Cloud a couple of years ago, Tony, was he said, I am not in any way going to attempt to compete with the existing software companies with what they're doing. I'm not going to create like the next ERP yeah. or the next supply yeah. chain. Yeah. He said the, the challenges facing businesses as they move from traditional approaches and processes into the digital world, he said, there's a massive number of things that happened there. You know, he talks about demand forecasting. He said there are applications for that, but they are somewhat linear and focused and they can handle a limited number of variables. He said, when you blow that thing out, now to some of the things we can do with big data, machine learning, AI, and so on like that, uh, suddenly you can just come up with a, a much bigger, broader sort of thing. So he has rigorously avoided calling what uh, Google Cloud is creating applications, and he just refers to the industry-specific solutions. Yeah. Because now, from the customer point of view, I think the customer would say, "Hey, looks sort of like an application to me," but the, but it's not an application like the old type. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, Tony, in the same way that um, on Microsoft's last earnings call, we had chatted about this. Some, but Sachin Nadell and the CFO Amy Hood kept getting these questions from one financial analyst about, yeah, but what about the enterprise applications? And, you know, shouldn't that growth number be bigger and all this? And the Delafine said, look, you're looking at it the wrong way. You're focused on the enterprise application. Yeah. And he said, those yeah. are fine. Those are important. We're looking at the process. And when you open it up to the process, it's the application plus this, plus this, plus this. Plus, and that's the difference I think he was saying from sort of the old world to the new world. Well, and I think, Bob, you're identifying the market transition at its essence, because if, if, you, if you think of the implications of what you're trying to say, it changes the way you go to market. If, yeah. if historically you've gone to market saying, I have four products, 
which of the four products do you want to buy today? Oh, you're going to buy that one? Okay, now I follow up a month later. Now I've got the second product for you and the third product for you. And that's how the deal goes down. This is a much more customer needs based. Yeah. And then here are the capabilities I can bring and deploy because they exist in the cloud. And in some cases I may toggle on or toggle off a variety of these different things to really get after, you know, serving you. Give you an interesting example of this. We're a, a you know, a small company in the, in the scheme of things, but uh, we, we work, uh, you know, we're a completely cloud company and we've migrated everything to the cloud, you know, several years ago. Um, we work reasonably closely with AWS and it's fascinating to watch how they work. They certainly want to do more business with us, just like they do with every other company. But there's been three examples now where they've come to us and said, hey, tell us a little bit more about this part of your business and the capabilities you're looking to unlock. And in two of those three examples, they've come back with, I think, you know, early on, perhaps not yet, not proprietary technology, but early technology demonstrated capabilities for us and even underwritten those capabilities because they're smart enough to realize if if they if the flywheel starts to spin on yeah. this they can certainly take this to many other companies and sell it to far larger companies than than we are i think that's a very different way of going to market bob and yeah. i think you're you're saying the same thing from some of these vendors and i'm not trying to compare the, the vendors to no. AWS. i'm not doing that but it was a visceral experience for us where frankly in the early going, and this is not a, a, a pejorative statement about Amazon, quite the opposite, but I, I kind of had my hand on my wallet thinking, <laughs> okay, all right, you know, there's a, there's a sales pitch in here somewhere. And indeed there was, but it was far more focused on, hey, it looks like this capability could accelerate your business. Is that right? Uh -huh. Let's test the thesis. Uh -huh. And oh, by the way, I might even be willing to put skin in the game with you uh -huh. if that's something that you know, not disclosing anything inappropriate, but I might be able to, to, to sell that elsewhere. And my guess is that's how this is starting to play out in some of these other markets. But long way back to your core point, if I don't have that visceral connect with your industry and your business, and I can hang in the conversation of, I understand what accelerates your yeah. business, it's kind of a fool's mission. It's a false yeah. promise, right? Yeah. And the customer will uh, first sniff that and then they'll detect yeah. it and yeah you either come in ready to play at you know yeah. at the big table or you know please yeah. go go somewhere else go somewhere yeah. else tony you know uh, i know you've always been a, a student of psychology and i thought uh you know sometimes uh there might be no better cure for insomnia than transcripts of certain earnings calls <laughs> <laughs> Some of them, on the other hand, oh my gosh. So this one, uh, Snowflake's most recent call, um, one of the analysts, uh, you know, was coming around to a certain question that a couple others had touched on a little bit. He really got into this and he, he was asking a question. He said, uh, Frank, he said, you know, it sounds like what you're saying is you've unleashed something powerful, valuable, interesting, easy to use within companies that they've been desperate to have, but have never had it before. And Frank Slootman, you know, brilliant CEO and all, and he's generally pretty buttoned up pretty tight, but you could just see as he started into this answer, he, he first started saying, he said, yeah, he said, you know, we haven't ever seen anything like this. He said, this is an incredibly, he first used the word buoyant, 
times. And then a second later, he said, you've had people who for years have wanted to do this, this, and this, but they couldn't get their hands on the data, or they had to go through two or three layers of intermediaries in their company. And that took two or three weeks to get an answer back. And by then I was like, ah, well, you know, the world changes some. So then he said, so when we uh, take away all those barriers and we let people work with experiment on reason over data in the ways that they want, he said, it is quite intoxicating. Yeah, and he said what we are finding from some customers, in fact, is that they uh, are finding that you know the more that is consumed, you know, the more the bill goes this way. So he said we've had to do an extra sort of ambitious job of explaining to our customers: here's how you put the brakes on. Here are some tools that allow you to regulate the amount of usage there. And I remember Tony, I was thinking holy crap, is this a business to be in, right? First, you sell them something that they can't get enough of, and then you sell them the tools to tamp down the usage. You know, what a great country. It is, it is kind of amazing, but I think, you know, it, it's, such a, it's such a clever vignette on something you were touching on a minute ago, Bob, that, you know, you know mar- market transitions, you know, don't go like this. They're not linear. They go like this. They take big jumps. <laughs> And it's very yeah. difficult. Look, if we could predict when they're going to happen and the time frame around them, you and I would be in a very different business. We'd be running yeah. a, we'd be Bobby Axe on billions <laughs> when we're running a hedge fund, right? Um, it, it's very difficult. And I think, you know, for many of us who, who grew up, you know, in, in and around with a front you know, row seat at a lot of these market transitions, you kind of can see when the planets are lining up that it might happen. Yeah, that doesn't mean it's going to happen, boy. And and I don't think we need any convincing of your audience. You know, I'm 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 banging the gong strongly on this one. It's like <laughs> wake up, everybody. This one's going to take off. Yeah. And I think there's something here. You know, it's interesting. I, it relates to to so much to our business because as we look into the 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 ecosystem of manufacturing, we have a very common view to this. That a we want to help tech companies get in here and help enabling manufacturing, but B, we've taken a broader point of view of how we go to market around what we now call Thomas Industrial Cloud, Uh which encompasses technology we provide to both buyers and sellers, data we provide, along with our traditional two-sided marketplace and and advertising and transactional related services. So as you can see, I'm a I'm intoxicated. Yes, uh, yes. With with the uh, <laughs> with uh, where this is going, but anyways, it's a fun conversation because I do think, you know, your our mutual friend uh, uh, Chris Lockwood should should weigh in on the uh, the 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 hyper or real around these things because he's got a you know brilliant understanding of marketing, and I think he'd agree with us that uh, if anything, it's underhyped. This yes. is a massive market transition, and and I think everybody should be trying to understand how best to manage it. Yeah, yeah. So, Tony, a couple thoughts. You know, I want to uh, offer up to you to for the final word. One is, if we do um, the billions thing, I assume you'll want to be Bobby Oxford. I don't want to be the guy that gets burned with c- the cigars. Okay, let me. I'll be the pizza shop guy. No, no, no. I think you could be Bobby Axe's cool kind of partner. The guy with the goatee, you know that guy. I don't know his name on the show, but he's this oh, kind of no, cool no, no, guy. No, 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 you don't no, think no, so? No. no. Okay. No, All right. No. All right. They—that no. is the worst casting 
job ever. You know, they take this this guy who's well, anyway, him is a yeah. tough guy. Mm, no, but yeah. thank you for trying. Clearly, you I'm don't want out me, for you. You don't want to be me to be the cigarette burn guy. So good. No, no, no. Uh, uh, Tony, in the other direction, I think what uh, what is plays to your point about the uh, the new generation of technology products and the new generation of tech provider strategy is lock in on what customers really want and need and swarm that and help them build it together because otherwise Snowflake would have made something about data analysis, data clouds that was just like the other stuff, hard to get to, frustrating, but it'd be a little yep. cheaper, better, faster, yep. cooler, yep. all that. Instead, they said, no, 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 tear down the walls, start at the customer, build out, and allow it to be intoxicating. So, um, Tony, I, I just think uh, I, I share with you the uh, the ambition and the optimism for just how extraordinary these times are, and in the manufacturing world, to be able to do stuff that nobody's ever done before. It this is going to be quite a ride for the next few years. Yeah, you know, Bob, I I, I do too. And it, you know, as as uh, as this conversation uh, reflects, we're, we're both pretty fired up about it. For yeah. your listeners. Um, that want to better understand what does this mean as if I'm a tech company and I want to better understand what does the market opportunity in manufacturing look like? What does, what does this mean and how would you break it down from the data? Perhaps we can post a, a link in the show notes. Happy to provide some free access to data and information that might be helpful to folks that are trying to unlock. We have a, a division called Thomas Industrial Data now that, that we're selling data into hedge funds and private equity firms mm -hmm. and also to strategic companies that are looking to analyze individual market sectors and understand the trends. So okay. happy to provide some of your listeners if that's helpful to, to, uh, to put some data and understanding behind my, uh, my over, uh, over caffeinated enthusiasm for <laughs> some of the trends that are happening in manufacturing as it relates to tech. Tony, as always, thanks for you know some fascinating ideas. We appreciated uh, occasional and I think very appropriate little uh, applause from Vivian. Uh, you know, who loves to talk about these things. She added some nice color to our to our discussion here. And uh, as always, Tony, great stuff. Thanks for, uh, you know, helping nudge people along to think, think big, uh, think about what's possible, think about, you know, a very, very dynamic and exciting future. Hey, Bob, thanks. And, and always enjoy catching up with you. Look forward to seeing you next time. All right, great. Thanks, Tony. And to all of you, thanks for being with us here at Cloud Wars Live. Hope it's been a fun one for you. A great day. We'll see you soon.